Hey guys, I just wanted to shout out this season sponsor, Service Hero. Service Hero is an application and website based here in Kuwait, and what it allows people to do is to rate the businesses and services in Kuwait and in Dubai uh, for whatever reason. So you can show some love, show some uh, areas of improvement in this way, kind of a win-win for both sides. The businesses can improve, and also the customer can kind of voice their opinion. This also extends to hospitals theme. So if you've gone to a private hospital, private clinic, and you want to show your love, be sure to rate them and take another step further. The coffee you're drinking right now with this episode, take a photo of it, rate it on Service Hero, and let us know what you think. That's the sound of the coffee pouring. Welcome to the Doctor's Brew. I'm your host, Dr. Abdul Aziz Al-Khayyab, and my co-host today is Whipple, named after Whipple's procedure for our surgery fanatics out there. <laughs> uh, I got distracted by Whipple. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Bye, Whipple. So, uh, with us today is Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Abdulaziz. Very happy to have you here. Very excited. So, uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, Dr. Abdullah went, uh, studied in RCSI Bahrain, is that yes. correct? Yes. And he is currently an assistant registrar at Amiri Hospital in surgery. Uh, so, we are working together, and this is actually my last few days uh, working with him. Um, like I've mentioned before, as a trainee, assistant registrars are my bosses. So, uh, another one of my bosses on the show. Uh, so, you know, he can uh, technically write me up for something I say or if I annoy him on the show. So <laughs> maybe give you a leave. There we go. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm, I'm done surgery in two days and uh, I'm going to run away and travel. So <laughs> and we're going to miss having you around. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to miss the team. I had a lot of fun uh, in surgery. I know you guys got tired of us trainees because it was a lot of zahma, um, like a lot of traffic. There was at one point, how many of us like at least a thousand more than. 15 on the team, maybe? Too, too, good too many. Though. You were sharing patients <laughs> at a certain point of time. One <laughs> would uh, palpate the abdomen, the other would listen to the abdomen. So uh, we, uh, we uh, shared everything. Now, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to deviate away from uh, talking about surgery because Dictora uh, Meniem Kinawi, that we already discussed with her, how you know start your life with surgery and how to get into that kind of a career. Uh, what we're going to focus on today is actually something that I think is really important for people to bear in mind when they're going into medical school or starting off their medical careers. And it's something that dominates medicine, I'd argue, more than any other career. Uh, and that's grades. And what we're going to talk about today is how grades aren't actually everything. And this, <laughs> I'm going to do my best to not be annoying. What do I mean by annoying? Uh, nothing annoyed me more than when people were, you know, getting 100%, doing really well. And then they'd be like, oh, uh, grades don't matter. It's totally fine. It's chill. Nobody cares. And they're like top of the class. Like, no. Stop. That's not what we're looking for here. I want today we're going to aim to have an opus opus open honest discussion about grades, where they are important, where they're less important, and then the actual implications for your grades. So you're well aware sometimes there are things that you know we really try hard for and they don't actually matter and other things that we think oh that's fine but it's actually super important. Uh, now, as usual, we want to start off the episode by talking about what we're drinking. We are both drinking hot americanos from the hub. Thank you, The Hub. Uh, I know those are espresso cups, so for y'all who are going to make fun, I know. But uh, tell me, what do you think of the coffee? It's perfect. <laughs> I love the dramatic Perfection. effect there. <laughs> the, the pause. Uh, how many times has The Hub been there for you while you were in Emiri Hospital and oh. you needed a place to chill? It was a rescue, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, like, whenever I'm bored from... Everything else around, yeah. I would run away and just sit at the hub. Sometimes maybe ignore my phone, especially post call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've said it plenty of times. The hub is a haven for all Amiri doctors. And for you uh, non-medics out there that are just tuning in uh, because you find the Doctor's Brew interesting, we love you non-medics. Um, the hub also has a, a good selection of artwork in the cafe, which I find really cool. Um, it's kind of unique in that uh, in Kuwait and we had our event there so much love for the hub thank you again <laughs> ching, ching. Thank you to the hub. <laughs> uh, okay let's dive in 
before we get into the specifics about grades, about our topic today, want to know a bit about you, a bit about your journey through medicine. I know you love medicine, like more so than the average person, I'd say, which I find very admirable. I love that. Uh, so tell us a little bit, why do you go into medicine? Okay, so it first started uh, when I was about nine or ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom herself, she's a physician. Oh, okay. So she what kind? Was, uh, she's a cardiologist. Oh, okay. So uh, while she was doing her residency, uh, we lived abroad for a few years with her. Um, she had to run to the hospital to get something done. So she was not able to get rid of me. <laughs> so she had to take me with her to work. So I've seen the way she was interacting with one of her patients and how that patient wanted her specifically and not another doctor and the amount of love her patient had for her and the amount of care she had for her own patients has just inspired me to be something like her one day. Um, So I would say I would dedicate my whole career to my mom. Thanks to her, today I'm a doctor. That's amazing. (laughs) What I'm wondering though is, um, interestingly, you were with her during residency, right? Yes. I'm trying to imagine if I was a parent during residency, the amount of time that would take and all that, like it's amazing how something good, something really good came out from you being surrounded by that. Did you, were you not impacted negatively at any point? Because I could imagine like your mom must have been dealing with so much, you know, like it's residency, you know, uh, was any of the hospital, did it hurt you in any way? Being so so close to it, you know what I mean? Like during her residency? Yeah, yeah. Um, No, it actually helped me a lot to find my way through life. I mean, Mm. like, I knew what I wanted to do at a very early age, Mm. which is not really something that you find with uh, the rest of the people. Not even in medicine, by the way. A lot of people still don't know. Exactly. You know? Um, I wasn't sure I wanted surgery back then, to be honest. Really? It was more of internal medicine for me. Mm. But later on, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm sure she might be a bit betrayed by that. She was, actually. <laughs> yes, the moment I told her that I wanted surgery, yeah. she was like, there goes the second son into <laughs> surgery because my older son is old, my older, sorry, brother is into surgery too. Oh, that's cool. So, um, yeah, but as long as we're doctors, that w- that's what really mattered to her. Mm. And she has always gave us the choice to mm. choose what to do. Mm. Um so I would say no, I really enjoyed see, seeing my mom working and being abroad maybe gave, a, gave me um, a wider look to the world. Oh, that's cool. It was more of a cultural shock coming back to Kuwait, to be honest. I can imagine. <laughs> um, but no, I really loved being abroad with my mom, seeing her work in the hospital because it was an inspiration and it still is. I'm assuming it was in the UK because you said mom. Um, not really me because I went to a British school. So. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay. How do you pronounce the first part of the small intestine, the one right after the stomach? See, I say um, duodenum, okay, but okay. a colleague of mine, um, uh, shout out to uh, Dr. Noor Al-Garabelli. Okay. She says duodenum. <laughs> we need to get into this, okay? Because... <laughs> Dr. Helen Lafi, okay, That's also says duodenum, and I am stark, I'm, I'm very angry about this. I don't like duodenum. <laughs> it's duodenum. I would say duodenum. Thank you. But, Thank yeah, you. I think I would accept duodenum at this point, <laughs> just because Noor says it. So. No, I, I, I'm sorry. The official stance of the doctor's brew is that you cannot say duodenum. It is duodenum, duodenum. and we do, we do not accept it. Duodenum, no duodenum. <laughs> no duodenum. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we digress. Um, how does it feel being part of a medical family? I kind of, my generation, my family is quite medical. Like there's everyone, it, it just seems like they're doctors. You know what I mean? And um, for me, it sometimes feels like you get drowned out in the crowd, but in other ways, it's so much better because you feel like you have such support and such a, an up on, you know, I have a few friends of mine who come to me and say, you know, Aziz, you never appreciate your privilege in how in medicine you had so many people to turn to. What was your experience with having a medical family? Your brother's a doctor, your mom's a doctor. Um, up till this point, I don't think I have ever made it public that my mom was a physician, like okay. officially, or my older brother. Okay. 
because um, I didn't really want to anyone to think that my mom had anything to do with getting me to the point where I am right now, That's especially fair. with That's like fair. the process of being employed. Hmm. Everyone thought that my mom was going to help me through the process and the Ministry of Health, being on the fast track, getting my papers done, but I went through the process just like anyone else. And my brother wasn't in the same hospital I was in. Mm -hmm. A few people have asked me if he was my brother or we were related in any way. I used to just run away from the topic. <laughs> really? Yeah, we try to keep it more professional, to be honest. That's cool. I mean, like, That's work really is cool. work. Mm -hmm. If I ever run into my mom or my brother in the hospital by the end of the day, they're not family members, they're colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, for example, my mom at home, when she talks about her patients, uh, or when I ask her about one of her patients or anything like that, she doesn't really reveal much about the patient's information. Mm. And I tell her that she can tell me because I'm her son, but she was like, no, that's patient's confidentiality. Uh -huh. So okay, okay, cool. family time is family time and work time is work times. So we really don't talk much about work together because that's our life. Mm. So yeah. Okay, I have a difficult question though. Tell me. Have you ever sent a cardio consult to your mom? Yeah. <laughs> really? I sent all ECGs to my mom, even though she really? taught me and I'm able to read ECGs. I mean, like many of my colleagues um, in the ward mm. come to me with the ECGs to read them, mm. especially during some code blues. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but for, for me to be able to confirm that my reading of the ECG is right, I always send it to my mom. Right. I trust her more than my guts. <laughs> So you always send your ECGs to your mom, and I don't blame you because I have a deep fear of reading ECGs wrong. <laughs> I mean, she she's the one who taught me throughout mm -hmm. med school how to read ECGs. She I'm video jealous. called me the first time. <laughs> I mean, like, That's really cool. I should feel privileged, actually, mm. that I had her to teach me read ECGs. The first time she taught me, I just needed it for the exam. Later mm. on, I just pressed the delete button after the exam, mm. and I totally forgot how to read ECGs. Mm. Next year, I asked her again. She was totally patient, taught me all over again. But the third time, she was like cussing and telling me this is the last time I'm going to be teaching you how to read ECGs. Not because you need it for the exam, but you need it for later on in your yeah. career. So since then, I was able to read ECGs. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. But mm. if she's going to be watching this episode, I'm still going to be sending her those ECGs. <laughs> <laughs> but what a blessing it must be to know that you want to do medicine, really. Uh, because I feel like, I don't know, um, I, I think I went into medicine, I was surprised, I, I was quite surprised, you know what I mean? Because I didn't necessarily grow up in my house around medicine, I considered it, I did some time shadowing, blah, 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 but it wasn't something I grew around, and um, I think the full affirmation of I'm going to be a doctor kind of hit me like, halfway through med school <laughs> so that must be a really cool like gift your mom gave you you know to have that certainty it did uh, I mean my older brother never wanted to be a doctor when we were younger in age. Uh, he has always wanted to be exposed. a pilot <laughs> so I have always been dreaming about being the first doctor after my mom mm. and making her happy so the moment my brother actually took the decision in high school that he was gonna go to med school and become a doctor, I was jealous, <laughs> I was crying <laughs> that I'm not gonna be the first doctor to make my mom happy. But um, yeah, I mean like at least both of us are surgeons now. <laughs> okay, so that, that, that leads me to my next question. Is, come, you wanted to do internal medicine, how did you get to surgery? Um, I really loved my rotation in internal medicine and the doctors I worked with, mm. um, even during my rotation in the ICU, um, kind of gave me like a hint that I really wanted to be med into into like internal medicine. Mm -hmm. But they really hyped me up to a to a point where I forgot to also experience the surgical side of medicine. Sure. So sure. Once I reached my rotation into general surgery and I kept scrubbing in for a few cases, I just got butterflies in my stomach. I mean, that feeling is a feeling that I was not able to ignore at all. Mm. So, yeah, 
I mean, like during that moment, I knew very well that I wanted to do surgery for the rest of my life. Can I ask though, um, the thing that always confuses me about surgery is how can you withstand or stomach the lifestyle? Because let's let's be honest here, the lifestyle of surgery is super intense. You know, you're the on calls, you're shaving a few years off your life with the the sleep deprivation. What makes it worth it? Um, it's more of like loving the specialty and enjoying it mm. rather than feeling like you're forced to do it. Okay. The that exposure we get in general surgery, especially in an Amiri hospital, is very good mm-hmm. at our level and That's for true. our level. So, um, going down to the casualty, seeing those patients, uh, the, the patients are sometimes in, in pain. Mm. But you're able to relieve that pain by talking to them, making them that they're in safe hands. I mean, it's all about how you live the life. Uh, one of the doctors have told me if I'm considering surgery as a specialty before I became an assistant registrar. And I said, yes. And he told me, do you really love your life? And I was like, yes. <laughs> he was like, and surgery is not the place. <laughs> do you really love I kept it? thinking about that. But then later on, I was like... My life doesn't have to be like his life. Yeah. I can still enjoy my life and be a surgeon. I mean, running away from general surgery or choosing it as a specialty sure. just because how others are living it, how the environment is sometimes toxic, just like some people say, mm. is not going to change anything about it. Mm. So when I thought about it, I was like, why not become a surgeon and change the whole point of view of like how toxic general surgery is? and how bad the environment in general surgery is. I can be the change. Mm. I'm not going to wait for someone else to come and do it and run to another specialty that I might hate in five years' time. Well, uh, this is a good question then about medicine as a whole. You wanted to go... uh, Arguably, medicine is... The culture of medicine can be toxic in ways. In the the element of you know lack of work life balance, the competitiveness, the tired, the studying, blah blah blah. Why would you go into medicine then? Maybe medicine was like you mean medicine Med- as a whole, like being a doctor, not like in terms. No, no, no. Um, to be honest, I did not find my happiness anywhere else but medicine. Mm. Being in the hospital, just hits me in a different way. Mm. I mean, even when I'm not feeling well outside the hospital, the moment I enter the hospital, I feel well. Talking to my patients, seeing them every morning, putting a smile on their face Mm. makes a big difference in my day. I mean, if I'm able to help one person Mm. during my working hours, that would really mean something to me. Um, I might have never talked about this in public too, ever. Mm. But... Unfortunately, I have been diagnosed recently with bulimia and depression. Okay. So, when happiness is missing out of my life, I totally know how that feels to those patients. Especially patients who stay in the hospital for so long, not knowing what they might be going through. Mm -hmm. And they just need one person person to make them happy. Mm. So I want to give them that happiness that I wasn't able to find. Mm. I mean, like, the whole depression thing that I have been going through just disappears once I'm in the hospital. Mm. Once I'm scrubbed in, once I take care of the patients during their post-operative period, seeing them in the clinics. So, yeah. What passion. I love that. That, I mean, I, I think if, you know, you're literally feeling like your depression is melting away entering the hospital what more affirmation that you're in the right career and you know amazing on you for talking about this mental health stuff you know me i'm very pro mental health i want to be a psychiatrist i've talked about these issues here on the podcast so uh, i want to thank you also for talking about this because let's be honest we're all humans exactly. and listen we're if we're talking about risk factors doctors are high risk for everything True. so let's 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 cut the lying and let's be honest you know I mean like there's nothing to be ashamed of I mean if I'm not feeling well I'm gonna tell you that I'm not feeling well I'm not okay yeah I'm not gonna wait until to I until I get to a point where my mental health just breaks down and I'm not able mm-hmm. to do anything because mm-hmm. if I get to that point I'm gonna lose 
the only thing that I really love doing right now, which is my career. Yeah. So, yeah. And if we're not aware of, if I can just add, if we're not aware of our mental health and we're not honest about it, this is what's actually dangerous for our patients. Because if you're not aware of your own mental health and you're not taking steps towards it, you and you're keeping things in denial, you become an unsafe doctor because you're not well. Similar to if you had a cold. If I had a cold or let's imagine I had gastroenteritis and I'm walking around the wards with my hands full of bacteria and putting them on the patients. That's unsafe. Me showing up to work without the mental energy to deal with patients and not be able to treat them safely, that's also unsafe. Uh, So thank you for that. And with this in mind, you are so passionate for, me- uh, for medicine, and I love that. What I'm wondering is how this translates into your experience with grades in medical school, because, you know, I think it's a big... Medicine has such a culture around competitiveness, around I need to get the best grades, I need to be the best. Tell us about what was your experience. So, I graduated as a first-class honors. Mm. Wow. wow. Which is... I'm proud of that. Yeah. I'm going to say that I'm not proud. But looking back into how hard I worked and the amount of effort that I have put in to getting those grades, it's honestly not worth it. Mm. I mean, like many people that have went to the same university, graduated the same year I graduated, mm-hmm. did not really try that hard, maybe. And they weren't on the honor roll, but they have made it into better places than where I am today. Really? So it's not really about the grades. I mean, I studied hard, I do have the knowledge, but going out into the real world, it's not about the amount of knowledge that you have. It's mm. about, are you able to use that knowledge into real life? Mm. So I would say that grades really don't matter. So, okay, fine. Let, let me, let's pose it this way then. Devil's advocate, you graduated with amazing grades, right? Yes. Um, I'm going to be the person watching this episode going, oh my God, this guy, this guy graduated with great grades and he's sitting there saying it doesn't matter. Oh, easy for him to say. Where do you think it's helped you getting those amazing grades in medical school? Where has it helped? Hmm. (laughs) See, I mean, it might have helped me during the medical school years. But, and I was really happy when I graduated seeing those grades on yeah. my transcript. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it didn't really help much. It did help me. Um, the knowledge did help me boost my confidence mm-hmm. managing my patients right now. Okay. Reminding myself that I graduated as a first class honors student mm-hmm. tells me that whenever I don't find the answer to my questions, I go like, okay, sit down, you've studied this multiple times, think about it, review everything that you have you have about your patient, and you'll get somewhere. You're right. Yeah. So that might have helped me a bit. But once again, what did it really, what else did it get for me? I mean, like, it got me into depression, honestly, and the whole bulimia thing. It all started during my senior year of uh, med school mm-hmm. um, where I was supposed to study for fi- my final medical and surgical exam and at the same time I was taking my step one so USMLE step one. Mm. Oh my god step one yes horrible super horrible. I'm studying for it right now what's going on what uh, is this, at this I moment, don't want the Krebs cycle <laughs> Halas. No more Krebs cycle well, hopefully you're not gonna get that in the exam <laughs> I don't remember getting that in my exam really yeah so no, oh, but yeah. you still need to study it though. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't want to be blamed I just, for I it. I thought I got the pass. Anyways, you were saying. But yeah, so when I finished my step one, I realized that I still haven't studied anything for my actual med school exams. Uh, you know, I that's what I struggled it. with. So that's when I started experiencing the whole symptoms and signs of bulimia basically Mm. so but i was ignoring it i kept convincing myself that it's just a period of time and then after the exams i'm gonna be well all of that has happened because i was trying so hard to get those grades and to graduate as a first class honor student Mm. so 
yes, I got the grades, but in return, I lost my mental health. So I love that you're touching up on this. Yeah. Because, okay. So from my, uh, you, mm, sorry, I, you hit a chord with me there. Because when I was studying for step two, um, there was these moments where I felt so down because I just kept thinking to myself, like, is it just going to be until I get to this next exam? Is it going to really be? What I realized was I had this moment where I realized how low and anxious I, I've become, how I was neglecting my friends, my family, my own physical health, all in the pursuit of studying, you know? And then halfway through, I realized, I was like, I'm going to do this exam, and then I have step one, and then I'm going to sit the Canadian, and then I'm going to go to residency, and then I'm going to do step three, and then I'm probably going to do something else I'm not even thinking about. And I, got, I just went... Oh, this, what, what's going on? Is it worth it? I, I don't know. It just, it touches on the culture of medicine and how we get through with studying, how it's so, put your head down, suffer, suffer, suffer. What do you think is the alternative though? It's maybe not focusing on getting high grades rather than just studying whatever you can study. Mm-hmm. Maybe studying every all the material day by day, and then maybe like a few weeks before the exam, you don't have to rush through the lectures. But it's all about what you're aiming for. Okay. So you shouldn't really aim for those high grades. Just aim for a grade. It doesn't have to be specific. Go like, I've studied a lot. I'm gonna take that exam. Whatever grade I'm gonna get, I'm gonna accept it. Some people might be afraid of repeating a module. And then we go like, but I don't want to take a repeat. Why call it a repeat? Just call it a second chance. Mm. You have a second chance to take this module and pass it. And move on to the next year. Yeah. See, it's all about the fear of the medical school community or the society you're in. Yeah. Because we're afraid of being seen not on the honor list or afraid of being seen... Um, one of those students who are staying behind in summer to study because they failed the module. Mm. It's not about what you want or what we want. I mean, like, who cares about what the people think? Yeah. Who cares about what the rest of the students think about me? I'm not competing against those students. I'm competing against myself. Mm. It's about becoming a better version of who you were previously. Mm. I mean, like, I look at myself now. What are the things I want to make better about myself? What do I want to improve about me? Not what I want to do to be able to keep up with the rest of the people around me. So I think people are just being influenced by the, the rest of the students around them. Mm. So for that reason, they might be studying so hard just to get those grades. So they're not really doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the, for the people around them. And do you think... Okay, so someone, maybe the devil's advocate would be, you study hard, you study hard, you study hard to get that good, to get a good spot in residency, to be able to do the, the specialty of your choice in the place of your choice. Where do you think grades play with those things? Do you think they're essential, non-essential? What do you think? They're not really essential. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, if you ask around about those people who are currently residents, mm -hmm. They're usually interviewed by the programs they go into. Mm -hmm. The whole reason of having an interview or let's say having those board examinations, the step one, step two, the Canadian exam, mm -hmm. why have those? Don't they have any trust into the grades that we got into mm -hmm. med school? Mm -hmm. This shows that they really don't care about how well you did in med school. Mm -hmm. They have a different exam they want you to take to see how well you do it. Some people just pass those exams and not really get high grades and this they still make it into like one of those big residency mm -hmm. programs how it's because their cv looked good the interviews went well for them they have podcasts <coughs> yeah. for program directors watching <laughs> i think you should add, add that to the cv i'm gonna add this to my cv too <laughs> you should. and i'm gonna take a recommendation of letter from you too no <laughs> so um 
the whole purpose of having the interview mm. is seeing those people, they, the candidates coming to those residency programs. They might have the grades, but do they have the mentality to be part of their program? Mm, yeah. I like that. I mean, mm. like, not everyone is smart in life. Like, I mean, I can be book smart, mm. but am I able to be smart when it comes to being put into different situations in life or even in the hospital? I mean, some people know how to do, like, how to deal with a code blue, for example, mm. like by book. Yeah. But when it ha- happens in real life, they just stand there, not, they're frozen and yeah. they don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah it's because they have um, memorized it all, but they don't understand what they memorized. And, you know, then again, we also like some intellect is of different kinds and varieties. Um, sadly, one thing for me that I realized after getting into med school was that medicine is a lot of memorizing. I know, I know, I know. I should have been well aware of this going in. But I always have been the person that looked at application more so than memorizing the details. That's why actually something I struggled with in surgery was memor- was saying numbers. So they'd look at me and be like, what's the creatinine? And I'd be like up down or in the middle like I don't small number I I don't know I have a thing I can't memorize numbers and I wouldn't say that I'm a dumb person Um, so I I like that that's a good point that how the the interview provides a more holistic view of people of the applicants so would you say that if let's say grades wise med the the true the true importance of grades maybe if, if we had to pick something that is more important is your exams to go into residency less so medical school so what do you think um so i would say that those exams being taken by us back then as medical students and at the current time are nothing but luck to be honest because every single year they change the including the board exams yes everything i mean like it can just be luck or a coincidence. I mean, I might take that that exam and be lucky enough to actually pass it mm. because I was able to study all the topics that they have chose to test me with. Right. While someone else might have studied a lot, has put more time into their studying um, methods than I did, but was not able to focus on the topics that came up in that exam. Mm. And they end up failing it. Mm. And if you're going to compare us to in real life, you're going to find them more competent than I am, for example, Mm. because they studied everything and they know everything. But I was just lucky enough to pass that exam. So it's not really um, something that you would use to measure how good a, a doctor is, to be honest. Grades are not really something I would use to judge doctor by but do you think that the system is catching up to this because i what what you're saying agree one thousand percent because god knows i've seen people who like let's be honest there is some sort of stigma it'll be like oh which medical med school did this person graduate from or which exam did this person do and it has zero effect on how they practice I've seen people who graduate from the best and are the worst and the worst, the best and vice versa and everything. So, but do you think that the system like residency, blah, blah, is catching on to this view that maybe our grades are not an actual reflection of us? I mean, maybe yes, in the States now, for example, like how they change the step one into a pass or fail exam. Right. That would show a lot that they're taking a step into actually moving forward. Mm. But I think medical medical schools should really start implying that too. I mean, it's not about the diversity of topics you're testing the students with. Mm. You should really have the basic topics in the written exam or whether it's an oral exam or uh, one of those OSCEs. you want them to graduate as safe physicians with the basic knowledge to use in their daily life as doctors in different specialties. So for example, like, I mean, when trainees come and move from one department to another, for example, so they go into, for example, medicine first for four months and then later on to pediatrics, surgery, obstetrics and gynecology, and they get a chance of doing two different electives. There's a reason behind that. It's, it's basically, even if you're not interested in that specialty, you really need to grasp the basics of it. For example, someone who wants to become a 
pathologist. Mm. They go like, I just want to pass my surgery rotation. I just want to pass my medicine rotation. And I just want to pass, for example, my PEDS rotation. And by not showing up to the rounds, not being assigned to patients and seeing them on a daily basis. See, that's not the whole point. It's not about passing the rotation. It's about taking the basics of that rotation. For example, as a pathologist, you need to know the basics of surgery. You need to know the basics of medicine. You need to know the basics of pediatrics. Mm. Because the samples you're going to get, how are you going to know what to do with these samples? For example, they send you a sample of a gallbladder. Mm. Do you know what a gallbladder looks like as a pathologist that has never attended any of the surgeries? I didn't know actually, and I found out the other day <laughs> during I'm a lab call. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're picking up the basics of surgery. It was more fleshy than I thought. In my, it was kind of dumb but when I first saw it. I was like, I remember the doctor pulled it out, and, I, and the first thing I wanted to say was, "Isn't it supposed to be green?" <laughs> Maybe you should have scrubbed it in into one of our hypecs to see the. Oh, I heard they're really cool. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's all about picking up the basics. Mm. Because you don't want to really look dumb talking, for example, picking up the phone as an internist and talking to a surgeon, for example, discussing a case or a consultation, not knowing the basics. Mm. And then the surgeon is going to go like, why are you calling me? I don't really see any active surgical issue in this patient. Mm. True, true. So if you really want to convince the other specialties about whatever you want to talk about, you need the basics. So, yeah, there's a whole purpose about picking up the basics and being a a safe practitioner. And not to mention that I think that there are a lot of transferable skills that come with each each specialty. Like uh, surgery really taught me how to prioritize. Um, So, for example, with notes, before I used to vibe out to my notes, I'd spend like 30, 40 minutes on each note and I just, you know, but then in surgery, I was like, that's not feasible and that's not effective. That's not what the surgeons want because they don't have the time. They want to see a note, get the idea and go in. Um, so surgery helped me with that. And that carries over to tomorrow. If, even if I'm a psychiatrist on call and I need to be quick on my feet, that's a surgical skill that I picked up. So I think that there is a lot of transferable skills there. And uh, I see what, you, you know, what we're hitting up on here is that clinical practice kind of has more to do with whether I'm going to be a good doctor or not, more so than what my step two grade was or what my X grade is, you know. Um, I, and I see what you mean. I think that the, the, the tides are changing a little bit with the system. Uh, I think people are being more holistic in their view of doctors. But this culture the culture itself of grades in medicine as a like just being a doctor and this culture of doing exams whatever do you think it's toxic it will be toxic if you're competing against other people what about if you're just competing against yourself because i would argue that the amount of tests that we take is something that really like grinds us down and i wonder if there's an alternative to those tests you mean yeah because how can i put it you know when sometimes you think it's it's a late on call and you just wonder is there is there no other alternative but to be on call right now like i'm not sleeping whatever but then you remember there are still patients late at night so there's no alternative but with exams what i wonder is that you know this feeling of a next exam and next exam and next exam do you think that there's maybe another way? I would have said that maybe standardize the exams and have the candidates attend a face-to-face interview mm. where you can give them like cases and see how they would proceed with these cases, how mm. would they deal with these cases to examine their knowledge. But this is not really feasible. Yeah. How many candidates do you have all around the world mm. wanting to apply to different residency programs, whether it's in the States, whether it's in Canada or the UK or anywhere else in the world. So right now, um, the exams are the best choice, but maybe standardizing the material instead of changing it every once in a while um, would really be helpful because you're going to be testing multiple candidates with a standardized exam, which is going to be fair enough to be honest. Mm. 
Okay. Now, on the note of those standardized exams, I'd love to hear your advice because this is something I'm experiencing and going through right now. How do you go into the mindset of studying for exam an exam without being overwhelmed? Because, you know, after step two, I took some time. Uh, I did the reverse. I did step two, and I'm going to do step one now. Uh, I took some time off. To, in, by time off, I mean I started, I was working, and I was not studying for an exam. Okay, I focused on things like the doctor's brew, other projects I have outside of medicine, medicine itself, like surgery. And then halfway through surgery, I decided, okay, time to get back in. The second I added step one studying into the mix, I became overwhelmed again. So overwhelmed that I've reached a point of burnout and I now need to take a vacation to kind of reset my, my head. But I know this is not feasible. After step one, there's going to be something else and something else. How do I go in and how does everybody go into these exams without getting overwhelmed and getting sucked into the stress? And how can they just bring it apart and make it a part of their life in a healthy way? What do you think? It's basically all about time management. Okay. Do it on your own pace. You don't have to force yourself. Don't feel like... Mm -hmm. I have to start now. It's now or never. Mm. It's whenever you're ready. I mean, like, I love that advice. Yes. I really do. So, I'm not going to push myself and do something that I'm not ready to do. I mean, the moment you start studying because you're forcing yourself to study because of a deadline, you're just going to be reading, memorizing, and not understanding what's going on. You wake up the next day, you forget everything you have read that day. That, so. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because. I remember in uh, medicine, my first rotation, the, the overwhelming advice that I got because everyone kept asking me, oh, when are you going to book step two? When are you going to book step two? And my response was always, when I, feel like, when, when I know I'm ready, when I know I'm ready. And everyone was like, no, then you don't study that way. If you, you need to put a deadline so that way you push yourself. But I disagree. I agree with what you're saying. It's not about what they want. It's about what I want. Mm. And it's just going to come at the right time. I mean, like, I'm going to get that feeling that I'm ready to go back into the studying schedule. And once again, it's all about time management. You don't have to do it for, like, six, seven hours a day and then just go to sleep, wake up next day, go to work, and then study after work or during work and then go back to sleep again. No. I mean, like, do other things in your life. Even if you wake up that day and don't feel like actually studying, then just don't study. Take the day off. Mm -hmm. Like freshen up so you can be able to study the next day. I mean, like, sometimes I used to wake up in the morning, do 10 questions before going to work or going to school. And I used to read something. So, for example, the things that I'm not able to study while sitting on a desk, I would read in the gym while um, jogging on the treadmill or walking. Really? Sometimes. Yes. I'm impressed. Yeah. I, I tried. It didn't work for me. No. I once took first aid with me, too. It's all about <laughs> where you are. Sometimes... I choose really weird places to study and to be able to remember things that I know they're going to be hard to remember. Like back in med school, the hard stuff that I wasn't able to understand or memorize, I used to study them in the toilet and put up sticky notes <laughs> on the wall of the toilet. So every time I go to the loo, <laughs> I read those sticky notes. I mean, like once I was in the exam- I hope I you know this is the <laughs> clip we're gonna use for the Instagram <laughs> because this is the best tip I've heard in my life <laughs> for memorizing things that I- I mean, it worked. It got me somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. like in the exam, I'm reading that question and I go like, oh my God. I remember studying that while I was in the toilet. So, there you, you know, go. I believe, by the way, there are um, uh, this. This does follow certain psychological techniques for memory. This is not like just a you thing. Like seriously, it's when you break the cycle a little bit, it becomes memorable. That's the whole basis of like, um, uh, you know, like the the pictures where it's like if you want to remember microbiology, this bit and that bit and whatever. Um, funny enough, there was actually a study that showed that if you want to maximize memory retention the way that you study for an exam you should mirror the environments so it was the the study actually went as far as to show that pi uh, the test subjects who were intoxicated from alcohol had if they s memorized something while intoxicated had this uh, the better memory retention during their uh, like the recall like the exam 
if they were also intoxicated. It's not saying go and take substances for your exams, but it's to show the impact of the environment you're in and mirroring it. So maybe you can do an exam on, uh, on the toilet, and that will help with all the retention. I mean, why not? Why not? <laughs> get me there, I'm gonna do it. I don't mind. And since COVID, everything is is uh, vir virtual and uh, remote. So. Next time, I'm gonna try sitting in the cupboard and studying. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. I, 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 you know what? Uh, we have a pretty big laundry machine at home. I think. I think I can sit. Try it. that. Uh, why not? But don't kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So I, I. So far, these are like a lot of. You know, really good uh, points about how to enter this the studying mindset, grades, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how do you think in terms of like setting a bar for grades, do you think people should have a particular grade that they want to get when they go into an exam or not? Um, I would always expect the worst, to be honest, because okay. it just makes it easier for me. So expect expecting the worst it's not really going to hit me hard when something bad happens. So, for mm -hmm. example, if I say, I'm going to get an 80 on that example, for mm -hmm. example, and then I end up getting 75, that's going to devastate me. Yeah. So, like, I wanted an 80. Why did I get a 75? Yeah. Even though I have actually passed the exam. Mm -hmm. So, why really care? But going into the exam and going, like, studying, I just want to pass with a 50. Or, for example, the exam might be hard. My fail it, I don't care. I studied enough for this exam, whatever happens, happens. And then I end up getting, for example, an 80. Mm. I'm still going to be happy with that 80. I don't care about what other people have got, what their grades were. But because I did not expect an 80, I just expected the worst, the 80 is going to be so satisfying to me. So I would have, personally, I would expect the worst. Well, then on that note, the worst would be I failed this exam. And the fear for every medical student and doctor out there I know for sure is if I fail this exam my career is over what would you say to that that's not true mm. that's the whole point of being able to retake an exam mm. getting a second chance see this shows you that you've went wrong somewhere so you need to fix it mm. it might have been the way that you have studied so change it and what if it doesn't work what then take it again and if you can't take it again Choose something else. Uh, uh, do you think that there's always something else to do? I mean, if you run out of options, that doesn't mean it's the end of life. And I think that's so important to remember. Yes. Sorry, I was I was trying to pull that out of you. <laughs> but um, I think it's really important to remember because, uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes we get really... Medicine is... It's like jumping... Have you ever gone to um, uh, California? When I was young, so. Did you go to the beach? I'll try to remember. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't go to the beach while they're in California? Thank you. <laughs> uh, what's it called? So, uh, for me, the way that I always feel like if I had to describe medicine, it was like when I was a kid and you'd jump out when the waves were high and you'd kind of get pushed onto the shore, jumping in and just getting sucked in into the water and everything. That's how I feel like medicine is. It's just a wave that takes over your life. And I feel like it's so important to break out and remember, like, there's always other options and there's always a lot of other things to do. You shouldn't be fighting those waves. Yeah. I mean, don't fight them. Be calm right. and you're going to be okay. It, that's, ooh, good metaphor. Yes. Because if you're, if you are tense, you don't have fun. But if you relax and just let it kind of push, okay. Exactly. Wow. We're, we're so profound. <laughs> I, I just, oh, God. I, uh, amazing. Look at that. This, the Dr. Brew is becoming philosophical. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, to wrap up the, this whole thing, I, wa I just want to ask, if you were to imagine, I, I ask this question often, um, if you had, a, let's say, a little cousin that is about to go and study medicine, okay, and you want to talk to them about grades and their mindset and how to approach medical school, medicine as a whole, with grades, what would be your what would you sit down and tell them like take this opportunity because the people our audience are usually those little cousins and those people that are about to enter or are in medicine you know see i would ask them first why they have chosen medicine okay so if they really want to do it and maybe take an observership before mm -hmm. going into it to see if that life suits them sure and when it comes to grades i'm going to tell them that Yes, you do need to study, mm -hmm. but grades really don't matter as much as you should be enjoying 
those years during med school. If there is one thing that I regret during med school, it's making sure that during the time, for example, during a semester or a term, I'm studying most of the time for an exam. And then, like, having fun has always been related to finishing an exam. So whenever my friends say, do you ever want to hang out or go uh, for dinner? I go, yeah, I go like, yeah, sure, maybe after the exam. So I study most of the time, do nothing fun in my life, and then after I'm done with the exam, I go out once for dinner, and then I'm back in that cycle. So it's not really much of a fun to do that. So I would say try to enjoy it rather than aim for the grades. You do have a goal, yes, it's becoming a doctor, but you get to choose the path that gets you to that goal. If you're going to choose a strict path, you're going to make it to the goal, but you're going to regret it later on. So choose a fun path to make it to that goal, and you're never going to regret those memories. And you'll get there healthy. Exactly. Without losing your mental health. Honestly. I c- inspiring. You should, you should do those, you know those uh, motivational quotes with the like uh, clickbait backgrounds? Or you should talks, do. Maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Listen, people are you know TED Talk or whatever you know. I don't know how they, to arrange it, but if we're gonna do a TED Talk in Kuwait, please invite Dictor Abdullah. <laughs> I'd be honored. <laughs> um, that's you know that's everything that I wanted to ask uh, for my end. You've been such an amazing guest. Thank uh, you. You've taught me so much, so many things that I want to take for in my life because, like I said, it's something I'm going through as we speak. You know, right now. Um, I just noticed this bottle is off. Well, it's still there. That was frustrating. (laughs) As long as it was there. (laughs) Um, Really, thank you again. A final special thank you to you uh, for coming and sharing your wisdom, sharing your experience, and being so honest with us. I I really, I appreciate it very much. It was an honor, a great honor being here. Thank you. And I really wish you the best of luck in your career wherever you go. And I also need to apologize for something. For what? I'm going to annoy you so much with all the questions I'm about to ask you about exams, uh, U.S. residency, Canadian, everything. So uh, strap in after this and wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Where's Whipple? We need Whipple over here. This is also Whipple, Dr. Whipple, our co-host today. Do you have any final questions? The cat has no final questions. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a last sip of coffee for the day. Uh, a final special thank you to our guest. And uh, if you like what you see, please be sure to subscribe and uh, let us know what you think. Till next time. Awesome. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of The Doctor's Brew. New episodes to listen to with a cup of coffee coming your way every Sunday on YouTube and Spotify. And be sure to follow us on Instagram for all the latest updates. See you next time.